May all grace, mercy, and peace come to each and every one of you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have you ever considered? When have we heard that phrase in life? Have you ever considered? Typically when we're stuck on something, like we can't get it fixed, right? You have that voice over your head going, hey, have you ever tried this or ever considered fixing it this way? Or maybe uh, when we've lost our way in some way, shape, or form, and somebody's trying to redirect us. I once had a high school guidance counselor that said, have you ever considered going to the military because you're not going to college with those SAT scores? I never forgot that. I just kind of always remembered, and that just kind of stuck with me. And um, I'm like, wow. And we hear it quite often in the Bible, too. Have you considered? Maybe not in that way, but in some way, shape, or form. Elihu says to Job, hear this, O Job, stop and consider the wondrous works of God. In Luke 12, Jesus tells his disciples to consider the ravens and the lilies and how God cares for them. And the author of Hebrews says, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. They all deal with the same thing, redirection trying to get us off of what we've been focused on that hasn't been working and turning us towards where our life is held in Christ. They all deal with then with what? When does redirection usually happen? When there's a, sometimes, a lot of times, when there's a period of transition. And what happens in transition? We, we long for the days of glory, right? Or we're, we want to experience glory again. And it's been a while. And Lord, please bring it now. And transition is hard because it brings change. And sometimes we get lost and we need to be redirected in order to that as children of God, we understand who Christ is and what his glory means for our lives. Redirection is a, is a theme of Luke and the transfiguration of Christ. And today on that mountain, as Jesus is transfigured, we find another kind of uh, two other people standing in glory. Moses and Elijah. And Luke kind of redirects us to both of them as this transfiguration is taking place in Jesus. But is this really about Moses or Elijah? Or is it about Christ? Is it about what God does? Of course it is. To set the scene, let's go back to our Old Testament lesson this morning in Deuteronomy 34. Because what we find here in Deuteronomy 34 is a period, a seminal period of transition in the history of Israel. Moses is standing on top of, of Pisgah, surveying all the land that God had promised, showing him from Gilead all the way to Zor, the land that God had sworn to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it was a land, mind you, that Moses would only see from afar. He's never going to enter there. Why? Because, well, he and, and Aaron rebelled against God back in Meribah. And so here he is looking at all these things. And when God is done showing him and allowing him to survey all this, this wonderful property, Moses dies. And he's buried in the valley in Moab. Now, interesting enough, Moses is 120 years old. His eyesight's better than mine, and he's full of more vigor than most of us, right? Which is interesting. He's got life enough to climb to the top of Pisgah to see everything. But just earlier in Deuteronomy 31, he told everybody he was 120 years old and couldn't do anything anymore. So what's really going on here? 
he's setting the stage for his successor, for this transition to take place. He's preparing his people for this. And we're told then that there's not a prophet in Israel since Moses for all the wondrous things that Moses had done. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and all the servants in all the land. You know, with this kind of pedigree, I can only imagine what the Israelites must have felt like after Moses passed away. How often do we grieve when our pastors leave or things happen, right? And here's, here's an entire nation mourning Moses. And I'm sure that, you know, I know that, that Scripture tells us it was only for 30 days, but I'm sure it was long, probably being human beings long after that. Now they would transition to a new leader. Why? Because God doesn't leave his people hanging. God's the one out leading. It's not about Moses' glory. It's not going to be about any of the other Old Testament prophets' glory or Elijah's glory. It's about God's glory. And who's the new leader that's transitioning to? Joshua. And we know what happens next, right? Where does Joshua take him into the promised land? Sometimes it takes a revelatory experience to see God at work, especially in times of transition. Eight days after Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ and that Jesus foretells his death and tells his disciples to take up their crosses and follow him, he takes Peter and John and James up to a mountain to pray. And no offense, I'm not sure that these are exactly the best prayer partners to take with you. They're going to end up being heavy with sleep, right? And it's not too long after that mountain experience that they're going to fall asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. And yet, this is who Jesus chooses to take to the mountaintop with him, or the mountainside, I should say. And while Jesus is praying, his appearance begins to change. His face alters, and his clothes are a dazzling white. I mean, how spectacular does that sound? And yet, they miss it. They almost miss it. They're getting, their eyes are getting heavy. They're starting to doze off. And I'm not sure that Luke wants us to see this transition either, because he redirects us to who? Moses and Elijah, the appearance. Luke says, and behold, in other words, and look, right? Look at, and behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. There's another transition taking place right here. Jesus has already tried to tell his disciples once about his impending death. Moses and Elijah appear now and are talking about Jesus' departure, or in some translations, exodus. And shortly after, Jesus will set his face to Jerusalem and his place of departure. This transition, my friends, is significant on many levels. First, look at all the glory that's appearing on this mountainside, right? Jesus in, in his dazzling white clothes and his altering face. And then the glory that Moses and Elijah are standing in. But is that their glory? Was all those things that Moses did to his glory? Uh-uh. No. This isn't about them. Jesus is greater than Moses. This is all about God's glory happening. And there's, there's something else taking place in this red carpet moment, so to speak. It's a transition in the way that God's redeeming his people. It's no longer about the law, is it? 
Jesus came to fulfill the law. It's no longer about you and I keeping that law perfectly. This is, this is Jesus doing the work for us. God showing his glory through the radiance of Christ there on that mountainside saying, hey, it's coming. It's coming. Look at my glory and look at what I'm doing for you as a redeemed people. So what do we make of this transfiguration of Christ? What do we make of Moses and Elijah being present, discussing Jesus' departure here? Have we considered that this scene captures that transition of God's redeeming grace? Have we considered that Christ is the glory of God? The transition from Old Testament prophets to Christ is a transition in that redemption. And what does that mean for us? There's something else interesting. We confess in our creeds what? That Jesus died and was buried and three days later rose again. Or he descended into hell. Three days later he rises again, right? And he ascends into heaven. And we confess that, but what does that look like in our lives? What does that mean? If we ever stopped and considered what that means for us, we just confess it and go about business. What does that radiance mean? It may be that Jesus is up here and some of us feel like he's a distant God and doesn't care about us. No. Think of all the things that Jesus sees from that 4,000 you know, foot view, right? He can see a better picture of all the things that are going on and all the people that need healing and hope in life. And as he transitions to the cross and we're redeemed people, he starts to build the architecture of a new house one in the body of Christ. And he promises us that he will never leave us, right? But guess what he's going to do if he never leaves us? Where is he? He's here. He's in our lives. And he's working through us to reach out to all those in the world that need that hope and to experience his glory. How often do we fail to understand that in transitions, God is with us and that while change can be scary, we need to lean on him for his guidance and his wisdom. The relationship between Jesus' vocation and his Father's glory gives us a direction and a purpose in life. But we too often fail to consider the nature of our faith. To consider the fact that we need to lean on Christ for clarity and confidence and hope. The disciples, they never really understood the glory of Christ. They longed for glory but looked for it in all the wrong places. Peter opens his mouth on that mountainside without even knowing what he's saying. Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let us build three tents for you all. He has no clue what he's saying. They're going to come down that, off that mountainside, and they're going to argue over and debate over who's number one at some point. Peter's going to go on to, to think that he's defending Jesus with a sword, ends up harming somebody. We're really no different when you think about it when we lean on our own understanding. Sometimes we're like Moses there at Meribah striking a rock to draw water because people are grumbling. Are we offering to construct housing for Jesus because we think it's what we should do as if it's to our own glory? We struggle with staying awake for the Lord at times, faltering in prayer and keeping watch, missing the glory of God at work. You ever stop, by the way, and intentionally look for those opportunities in life to, to glorify God? Those opportunities that present themselves not only here in church property, but out in our workplaces and in schools and our society? 
looking for the person who struggles with, I don't know, loneliness and depression, or the person who's hungry and homeless, or unemployed or unemployed, or struggling with addictions. Too often, I think we fall asleep on that. We need to hear that voice that calls out from the clouds on that mountainside that says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. God keeps reminding us that it isn't about us glorifying ourselves. It's Christ has done that for us. Christ makes his exodus in Jerusalem. And there's a transition that takes place in his death and his resurrection and ascension. Our transition to his glory, our redemption by his body and blood. Our lives called to live in his ways. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He's greater than Moses. This Christ is. Christ has built a house to the glory of God, and we are that house. We're a house that's redeemed, a baptized people. How will we consider this transfiguration today? What does that dazzling white clothing mean to you and that radiant face? Think about the clothing that you got in your baptisms at the baptismal font, whatever point that happened in your life. Think about how you've been restored in the glory that God imputed upon you. Even in transitions, whether it's a vacancy at church or a transition in health, moving jobs or houses, may we consider Christ. Pray with Him. Stay vigilant. Work for His glory. For His glory has redeemed us. And to God be all the glory. Amen.